Chapter 5 The very rich and those who long to be so, Tibbs, are often odd birds who only dirty their cages when others aren't looking. Astonishingly foul, the habits some people keep secret. Inspector Percival Pensive, the case of the interrupted in... in... I don't know. In... I don't know how to say it. That's okay. The Countess's property was 30 minutes at a fast clip from the last home they'd spotted, its isolation adding to the splendor of Hollingsworth Hall. Indeed, Tabitha's mouth hung agape as the carriages drove between two low stone walls, crossed a bridge stream, stream, and finally came into view of the group's destination. It was a confident structure that had no tilting or looming about it, unlike Tabitha's future residence, Augustus home, and it was most certainly and it most certainly was not full of orphans. No less than ten chimneys spotted uh, no less than ten chimneys dotted the estate like top lookouts, and three small diamond shaped windows perched closely together near the very top of the hall. I would deduce, Pemberley, Tabitha said silently, that even the attic space in Hollingsworth Hall is certain to be true cozy quarters. Oh, it's a country palace, said Edward. It wasn't quite a palace, Tabitha decided, but it was still the most impressive home she had ever seen. She let her eyes gaze, or she let her eyes follow the, t- the gables and sloping roofs downward, her gaze slipping and sweeping around the different angles of the manor. Lit by tall, glass-sheltered gas lamps, the lower half of Hollingsworth Hall was a somewhat unsettling study of shadows with manicured trees and bushes queued up as though standing guard. The horses came to an abrupt halt, jolting the children so that they were torn from their seats and flung together like trapped trout. It was a lumbering process, waiting for the adults to arrive behind them and then waiting while the children's bags and trunks were unloaded in the harsh weather. Though rain that had pitter-pattered, then pelted the carriages during the drive had stopped, the ground was wet and boggy, sucking at feet as though hoping to keep anyone from ever leaving the estate. When nobody opened the large set of front doors, the group huddled together in a heap, not quite sure what to do next. "'What do you think we're doing here?' Mr. Dale asked Tabitha's father. "'Staying in the cold, aren't we?' Mr. Crumb replied. He sniffed. "'If you're talking about why we were all invited, Dale, I don't know if I did, and I don't believe, I'll, I, and I don't believe I'd tell you.' Mr. Dale looked baffled. "'Oh.' "'We haven't a clue either,' Mr. Appleby said, stomping his feet and stepping around his wife to block the wind from her. "'Does anyone else?' Murmurs of no and various speculations whirled into the wind and disappeared as they waited. The temperature had dropped several degrees leaving the hotel, and a cold, foreboding scent like frost and frigid things filled the outdoors as though winter was arriving early and had chosen to make its first appearance at the Countess's home. Tabitha watched her father, Mr. Crumb. Uh, Tabitha had watched, Tabitha watched her father. Mr. Crumb had a short fuse when it came to patience and shallow reserves when it came to politeness, so it seemed fitting that he was the one to finally shove the group apart. I suppose I'll see it to the door, he said. If there's any sir if there aren't any servants about, he grumbled about someone not knowing standards of decency if they were slapped in the face with them, but as he approached the wide set of carved wooden doors, he shied a bit at placing his hand on the knocker held within a brass gargoyle's jaws. Quickly, as though he might be bitten for impudence, Mr. Crumb banged on the entrance. Four solid raps echoed somewhere deep within the manor. Mr. Crumb stepped back as the thick wood eased inward in a slow motion. 
The double door opened, revealing a statuesque butler standing at the fore of a marble-floored foyer. Tabitha noticed that his sideburns were meticulously trimmed and his eyes were brown and steady. A deeply clefted chin and a slight voluntary lip twitch saved his face from being ordinary. He wore a black uniform with dark brown dress shoes. Good evening. Do come in. He bowed, showing a bald spot on top of an otherwise thick head of black hair streaked with a few bits of silver. Mr. Crumb straightened his jacket and peered around the men. Yes, well, who the devil are you? Where's the countess? I am Phillips, the butler. The countess of Windermere does not answer her own doors, sir. Welcome to Hollingsworth Hall. A rush of, ace of icy air blasted the crowd, which scurried in without further he hesitation. further hesitation. A hush fell over the guests as they soaked in their first view of Hollingsworth Hall's interior. On the foyer walls hung two portraits, one on each side, both of older gentlemen. Each oil painting was displayed under black curtains, pulled back with gilded ropes, and each portrayed a man sitting in an armchair holding a large pocket watch. The men's faces were such that the eyes seemed to follow Tabitha across the open room. She watched them, watching her, wondering if the paintings had been silent witnesses to any wandering spirits. Dim lighting came from a massive, low-hanging chandelier. Most likely it was secure, but Tabitha stepped out of its path nonetheless. Not one, but three suits of armor stood guard. Looking out of place, but, uh, not one, but three suits of armor stood guard, looking out of place, but ensuring the utmost sense of occasion. There seemed to be only one significant thing missing from the scene, Tabitha thought. One significant person missing, rather, she corrected herself. Where is she? Barnaby asked. Where's the countess? Ow, mother, you don't have to- Ow! Barnaby t rubbed his ear and glared at Tabitha as though she'd done the tugging. Clearing his throat, Phillips took in the whole group with a single gaze and double lip twitch. Her ladyship is delayed in her rooms and will join us for dinner. I'm to take you to the parlor for light refreshments. Parents, you may settle yourselves from the journey while the children are shown to their rooms. Once they return, I'm going to, brief, I'm going to give you a brief tour of the property. He bowed again. Agnes will take your coats and see that the children's things are deposited de deposited in the correct rooms. He clapped twice like you might do when you when summoning a dog. Agnes. A cowering maid appeared, quickly disappearing under the, th the thick load of dress jackets and coats piled upon her. Mrs. Wellington had worn a mink, which looked to weigh more than two stone. I say fibbets, Mr. Trundle said. Before we refresh ourselves with anything, uh, what are we all doing here? We demand to know. He dug in his pocket and produced a shilling, holding it out to the butler. Out with it now, like a good chap. Philip studied the coin as though it were a piece of tummy lint. Oh my, that is most unnecessary. Put it away, please, sir, and it's not my place to say why you've been summoned. So you do know, then, Francis asked. We demand to know as well, Mrs. Crumb said. She slapped a hallway table for emphasis, rattling a Grecian mask. First the hostess doesn't show up to greet us, and now the butler is flaunting knowledge that we don't have. I've never been so insulted in my life. Mrs. Trundle, Mrs. Trundle clucked her tongue. Perhaps not to your face, dear. Francis whined like a squeaky vault door. Give him twenty pounds, Daddy. I want to know now. Quiet, Francis. I've told you not to speak to me when I'm assessing the art. Mr. Wellington stroked his chin, gazing at the portraits. 
Shades of Thomas Gainsborough's work, I believe. Follow me. Phillips began walking down a wide hallway, his shoes alternating between efficient clicks and a barely audible squelch. All of their soaked shoes were squelching a bit, Tabitha noticed, from the delicate heels on Francis to her own shabby pair. With a dramatic roll of his arm, Phillips ushered them through a set of open double doors. Tabitha gazed at the finery in awe. Every surface burst with money, from elegant ivory effigies on side tables to the two large paintings hanging on other side, either side of the fireplace mantel. Each showcased a swan, swimming gracefully along a scenic lake. This is a high parlor. Don't touch that, sir, Phillips said sharply, swiping a silver apple from the hands of Mr. Crumb and placing it back on an end table. A lady's powder room and gen a gentleman's room are just down the hall. Children, you will be escorted to your room shortly. Parents, please feel free to seat yourselves. He pointed to a bound album resting on the lower shelf of a table near the fireplace. There are more than 300 thank you notes cataloged in that album. If you would like to pursue them while you wait for the children, the Countess has been quite the benefactor. If she's so rich, why hasn't she got a fleet of motor cars? Would have shortened the journey here, snorted Mr. Crumb. Phillips raised one eyebrow. The Countess keeps five of the finest new motor cars with custom-added luggage racks in converted, in converted stables on the property. I can only assume she sent her finest horses and carriages to convey an older sense of class and elegance, perhaps a, perhaps a difficult concept for some to grasp. I'll be back shortly. He gestured to, towards, he gestured to, he gestured to a stone, he gestured to a stone-faced servant. This is Jane. She's here to pour, if you care for tea. There are assorted food items as well, though I should warn you that the Countess has quite a meal prepared for, uh, planned for supper, so do save room. She has, he coughed into his hand and a wrinkle appeared between his eyes, spared no expense. He bowed and closed the double doors behind him. Jane stood, be Jane stood beside silver platters of cucumber sandwiches and smoked salmon sandwiches and savory sweet ham sandwiches and open-faced sandwiches with thickly spread butter and, butter and fresh mint. Hello, hello, Jane, Edward said, rubbing his hands together, and hello, refreshments. But just as he reached for a butter and mint, two nervous-looking female servants appeared and approached the children. One was no more than fifteen years of age, with tired eyes and blonde hair tucked under a cap. Tabitha Crumb, she asked, fingers twisting together as though knitting an invisible scarf. Tabitha raised a hand. Yes, that's me. Thank you, miss. Follow me, to, follow me to your room, please. She turned and began walking quickly down the hall. Tabitha pushed gently past Oliver and Edward, hurrying to catch up. Stepping alongside the young maid in the hallway, she had the sudden idea of practicing the art of conversation. Surely it would benefit her throughout the weekend ahead if she could become comfortable speaking with others. And though clearly tired, the maid seemed to... The maid seemed kind enough to be a suitable trial friend. So, have you worked here long? No, miss. I just arrived two days ago. And have you run into any ghosts? Tabitha was joking, but the servant stopped at the base of the staircase. Without looking at Tabitha, the girl spoke softly. It's not for me to say, miss. Hmm. A hesitant answer is one that always begs another question, Pensive would say. How to encourage the girl. Tabitha smiled. I'm not frightened of them, you know. I just like mysteries, and ghosts are quite an exciting mystery, aren't they? 
The servant looked at Tabitha as though she had grown a second head. She began climbing the staircase at a fast clip. Oh dear, Pemberley, Tabitha said silently. I'm afraid I can't talk to people the way I talk to you. The servant was glancing down the long left hallway when Tabitha reached the top. The rest will be in the west wing that way, she said. There are only five guest rooms on that side. Twisting her fingers, she turned right, hurried past a shut door, then turned down a short hallway that dead-ended with a single room. Here we are. I'm so sorry you'll be separated. It's not my fault, she bit her lip. No, of course not. It's perfectly fine, and I'm sorry to have brought up ghosts. Perhaps you couldn't, Perhaps you can't talk about things like that. The servant gave her a long stare, deciding something. Well, since I'll be leaving shortly, and because you're staying in this room, it's probably best that one of you know that Hollingsworth Hall isn't all baubles and ten-course meals. Pemberley shuffled, and Tabitha gave him a light squeeze. She was certain that he felt he gave her a nudge back. Yes, I know, sir. It's exactly something like a maid would say in a pensive novel before revealing some revealing terribly important information. You pay attention, too. Yes, she said, fixing her face with an open and encouraging expression. Please go on. I heard something the past two nights. I stepped out of my room to see what was that, what was what, and it was almost as though something was walking the hallways, making the air currents shift. I swear I felt a presence. Something's not right with this house. I heard rumors before I took the job, she continued. Spirits calling for people in the halls. One poor girl even came back to the agency just to warn us not to work here. The voices, she said. The voices were moaning for an Anne and a George and a Victoria. Can you imagine? No, Tabitha said, though she could. She had a very healthy imagination. She also knew that sometimes people like to play tricks on those they thought naive. It was likely that somebody had been playing, had been having a bit of fun with the servant, but it would be rude to suggest that. No, it was best to play along. Who are Anne and George and such? The servant, the servant shook her head. Don't know. Now, she said, opening the door. It's not as large as the westering rooms. I hope it will be acceptable, miss. Tabitha thought of her attic dungeon. I'm sure it's wonderful, thank you. But the servant lady had already left, keeping her head low and muttering to herself. Tabitha reached into her pocket and let Pemberley scurry up her arm. Fresh air, my little inspector. She stepped into the room and froze. All thoughts of ghostliness vanished at the sight of her quarters. And then young Tabitha Crumb felt a surprising wetness at the corner of her eyes and realized that she had been placed into a story after all, just as she'd wished for only one day earlier. I've entered a fairy tale, she whispered, and it was. There were luxuriant fabrics, elegantly carved wood, and a thick, rich rug with colors that beckoned her inside and wrapped her around her lonely heart like a magically woven blanket and a cup of never-ending tea. A canopy bed dominated one wall. It was hung with green gossamer curtains, covered in a gorgeous pale yellow comforter, and piled with embroidered pillows. It was a bed fit for a princess. There was an arm, there was an armory, and a separate closet as well, with a simple chair resting between them. Tabitha opened the doors of the standing wardrobe, almost expecting to see a row of fine dresses made just for her. Instead, there were neat rows of clothing, four plain dresses that looked like something a maid would wear, or Tabitha thought what someone like herself would wear to a special occasion at a manor house. 
four trousers suitable for a groomsman or a lower or lower horseman, four aprons, six blouses, six shirts, what appeared what looked to be a driver's uniform, and a variety of shoes and hats, all very organized. This must be where the Countess keeps extra servant uniforms, Tabitha told Pemberley. A large dressing table, a mirror, and an elegant seat were next to the wardrobe. She touched the items on the mahogany dressing table, first letting Pemberley down to explore a carefully arranged plate of chocolate digestive biscuits. There was a silver brush set, a powder puff, and a small jewelry case holding several rings and tasteful pins. Among them was a silver, a simple silver finger band with a large, clear gem astride it. Tabitha picked it up as Pemberley scuffled onto the dressing table. This could make you a lovely collar, Pemberley. She slipped it over his head and placed him in front of the looking glass. If mice were inclined to primp and preen, then Pemberley was doing just that. Paws on the glass, he sniffed his reflection, then sat back for a better angle. Oh my, aren't we fancy, sir, Tabitha said. Come, you can't wear it to dinner. She pulled him away, though an indignant squeak told her that Pemberley would certainly be back to examine his diamond collar later. While he scurried beneath the bed to investigate, Tabitha lifted a small frame from the dressing table and sat on the mattress. Who's in this photograph, you think? The picture featured a tall man, a plumpish woman, and a half-covered bassinet that revealed the lower half of a baby whose two legs poked out of the blanket. Feet spread far apart as though he or she had kicked off the confines, confines of a too tight wrapping. The image sent an attention-demanding prickle to her mind as though it was hiding something of importance. I wonder if I was bundled this lovingly. Tavitha placed the frame on the bedside table and closed her eyes for a moment, trying to remember back to her days of being an infant. Did she kick off her blankets until her mother stopped wanting to bundle her at all? Had she been a poor fit, both in swaddling clothes and her parents' lives from the very start? Pemberley dashed up the bedclothes and settled on her lap. What's that, Sir Pemberley? What's that, Sir Pemby? I'm being tired, son. You're right. This, sir, is likely to be the most magnificent place we've ever take lodging, so let's soak it in. She stretched herself onto the bed, folding both arms behind her head, studying the swirling design on the canopy and sniffing the air. Though it smells like old lady in here, Pemberley. Squeak. Squeakity squeak. Yes, I meant musty, not like an actual elderly person. Really. It's a bit like Mr. Tickles's favorite chair. She sniffed again. And pipe tobacco. Tabitha studied the one painting adorning the room's walls. It was a child sitting on a rocking horse, longish blonde red hair sweeping over his forehead and dangling into his eyes. He looked mischievous and happy. There was only one boy who li had lived in the house with the Countess. Was this her son, or had the paintings already been there when the Countess purchased the estate? A knock sounded on the door. Time to meet for the tour, miss. Yes, all right, thank you. As Tabitha walked down the hallway to wait for the others at the staircase, she wondered at the chance of her being given the only isolated room. It was almost as though the Countess knew that she wouldn't fit in while the others would be great friends. Squeak! I know I'm being ridiculous. Still as, though, still as the others exited their rooms in the West Wing, Tabitha couldn't help but notice how confident Frances was, how she casually whispered something in Oliver's ear, and how comfortable Edward and Viola were together. Tabitha, come with us, Viola held out a hand. I simply can't wait to find out why we're all here. Isn't this exciting? I haven't a clue what's going to happen, but it's bound to be spectacular. It's like bonfire night, just before the fireworks light up in the sky. 
Yes, said Edward, except now we have to tour the house before we even find out what this business is about. Parlor this, drawing room that, here's money, there's money. It's like being invited to Buckingham Palace and then first having to tour the extra special toilet facilities with perfumed Edward's stop. Viola's hand wiggled a little, her fingers brushing Tabitha's dangling ones. Are you all right? Oh, well, um, yes. Stupid Tabitha, just take her hand. Though her inner voice had been rather rude, Tabitha took its advice and lay her palm in Viola's. Viola squeezed and leaned in to whisper, her breath a warm wisp of air against Tabitha's neck, against Tabitha's cheek. Boring to her or not, I'm dying to meet the Countess, aren't you? Dying, Tabitha repeated, thinking about Edward's words and an Inspector Pensive novel where a body was found in a water closet during a manor tour. Pemberley rumbled about in her pocket, and she used her free hand to free a piece of chocolate biscuit she'd hidden under her collar. She was just poking the morsel into her apron when she bumped into a very solid wall. End of chapter 5